and welcome to Sonic Stories, the show where music, human performance, and life intersect and are shared through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and on this show, I invite a guest to choose three songs that have shaped their life in one way or another, and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the field of sport and performance psychology, as well as for a financial technology company. So on the sport and performance side, really what that means is I support performers such as athletes, performing artists, executives as well on just working through any sort of mental obstacles they might be facing help to help optimize their strengths, fully realize their performance. Um, on the executive side, side of things, sometimes that also means leadership specifically, as well as culture change, um, impacting teams, individuals, and so on. So really fun work. I love it. But quick announcement before I get into this week's guest, <clears throat> I'm in an affiliated partnership with a great company called Mudwater, which I'm sure some of you may have seen their, their ads here and there on social media and, and everywhere else. Um, but Mudwater is a coffee alternative. That's their product. And so it really has all the pros and cons are all the pros of coffee in virtually none of the cons. It has organic ingredients to improve mental and physical performance, minimize mood swings, improve physical stamina, immunity, and just overall health. It contains masala chai, cacao, a blend of four medicinal mushrooms such as lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, and reishi, and then some other simple spices that you probably have in your kitchen and are recognizable just like cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan sea salt. And this is one of those things where even though I've always been a longtime coffee drinker, I still do enjoy coffee, but I've just drink less of it and I've substituted mud water. And so I start my day with a cup of mud water, add a little bit of honey to it, a little bit of oat milk is kind of how I like to dress it up, which is really good. And I'll drink that down. And then because there's a little bit of sediment there, I'll top it off with coffee and that's my coffee intake for the day. And so the result is you still get a nice energy boost, but it's much smoother and it's less, um, it has fewer of those peaks and valleys of energy throughout the day. And I don't really experience those crashes in the afternoons that, like I used to when I'd still have plenty of work to do or something going on that night where I need to have a little more pep in my step. So it's really been an amazing change to my routine. But outside of that, outside of the product itself, the company, they donate to MAPS which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to support psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for those that are suffering from depression, PTSD, addiction, and suicidal ideation. And so after doing some research on that company and just on top of enjoying the product itself, it was kind of a no-brainer to reach out to them and to team up. And so if you'd like to give Mudwater a try, there's a link in the show notes of this episode that'll take you directly to the website where you can place an order. Now to this episode's guest, this week, I was joined by Paul Wilmette. Paul is someone that I had met through a connection of a previous guest. Um, he's a very fascinating person, I think is the quickest and simplest way I can put it, but he's someone who's lived a really interesting life, um, coming from a very musical family, being the youngest of five kids. His mother was an organ player for many, many, many decades. I believe 60 plus years she was playing. Uncle was playing in uh, an Air Force jazz group. Um, and so, you know, he also had a background of playing professional baseball as well. And so in this conversation, I think one of the most fascinating things and one of my favorite parts of the episode is how he continuously connected sports to music. And that's really, it really was the impetus for this show. When I first conceived it, I was just thinking about that connection and how music is one of those things that's so present in everyone's lives and has these stories and have just deep meanings and deep memories for them. And it just really shapes who a person is. And Paul really brought that and explained 
that whole background and, and how music influences him in this in this episode and this conversation really well. So I've got nothing else to say. Here's Paul. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Good. How are you, Benny? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you. I appreciate you being on the show on this on this Saturday morning. I know sometimes there are more fun things to do on a weekend than talk to some guy about music. But I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Just to get us going, could you just give a little little introduction on yourself on who who Paul Wilmette is? Well, I'm Paul Wilmette. I'm 65 years old. I just turned that uh, in November. I've always been a musician and a baseball player. I've had an interesting life so far. I have a bunch of grandchildren now, and that's changed my life a little bit. But I keep on doing what I've always done, music and and I'm involved in baseball still, too. So a little bit of everything on this side. Awesome. And I imagine with grandkids in the mix, it definitely keeps things interesting and fast-paced. How many How many grandkids do you have? Eight total, all right here in town, right around De Pere. Yeah, it keeps me busy. Six of them are right around the block. Keeps me right on my toes. It's never a dull moment. Yeah, yeah, it keeps you young. It does. <laughs> Looking older, but I feel younger. That's good. That's the most important thing, I think. As long as you feel young, that's what it's about. Yeah, you can color your hair and stuff like that. (laughs) That's what I do. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's right. You can fool everybody. (laughs) For a little while, anyway. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into these songs. Let's get into these songs. So we've got... We've got three really good choices. I think out of all the guests that I've had on the show, I love the variety that you have. Each of these songs from a different decade, from a very different genre of music. So I'm really excited and curious to kind of dig into each one of them. But um, the first is Nema by John Coltrane off a legendary album, Giant Steps. Next, we got Soul Vaccination by Power of Power, early 70s, Bay Area, funk and soul music. I love that stuff. And then No Ordinary Love by Sade, which came, yeah. out, came out the year that I was born, and it's a damn good song. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to say just right, right at the beginning about these three songs? Well, they're all songs that I still play today. I play them a lot for whatever reason, but number one, they're great songs by great artists. I don't know, like Na- Naima was a song that... Uh, I don't really know how I acquired that album. When other kids were, you know, in my era, back in the late 60s and early 70s, when I was, you know, just getting ready to start junior high and stuff like that. And I was trying to remember where I got the album. I still don't, I think I just bought it where my sister had it. One of the two, I don't know. But anyways, when other kids were listening to, Hendrix and Led Zeppelin with their black lights on. (laughs) In their room, I I had my black light on listening to Coltrane. So I, you know, I don't know how that started, but still I can just get lost in that song. And Coltrane in general, you know, would just bring just the way he played and the players he had playing with him usually would just take me to another world really and it still does i when i listen to that song it's and i've played that song many times as as a musician as a drummer i'm a musician myself and a and a multi-instrumentalist but i'm a I started on piano when i was 
little and you know progressed into other instruments but i consider drumming my main instrument anyway that that song still when i put it on i'll put it on you know all the time and that whole album's so good you know i mean it's timeless really yeah do you remember the very first time that you heard it well, I kind of do. I So I grew up in a family of five kids, and I was the youngest of five. <laughs> I remember it because my next oldest brother and I, our room was what used to be a one-stall garage in our house. My dad turned it into a garage but uh, failed to insulate it. <laughs> so I remember everything about that room and everything that happened in that room. You know, we would jam in there you know with musicians when i started playing drums and the whole neighborhood was over there my neighborhood was full of musicians for some reason <laughs> so we would jam in there but notoriously it would be freezing cold in there and uh, especially in the winter and super hot in the summer being uninsulated so i remember like everything about it and uh but yeah, the first time I heard all of that album and Naima in general, I don't know, I just for whatever reason had this huge impression on me. You know, the I, it was like I could feel what he was playing rather than hearing it. I couldn't quite understand that at the time. I do now, but I mean, you know, that's the whole point of being a musician and <laughs> using your musicianship to make people feel things was and is still one of the my favorite songs ever yeah i feel like it's it's one of those songs that if you listen to music on spotify or any streaming service like that and you put on um you know like jazz classics or something like that and there's and there's coltrane on the playlist i feel like this song is is consistently there because of yeah. how profound yeah. and how well listened that album was and still is well his background too was intriguing to me and that you know the struggle with addiction and all of that kind of stuff so i often wondered you know how great he would have been minus the addiction but we'll never know right yeah and he I don't know the exact age, but I want to say he passed away. It was sometime in his early or mid thirties. Does that sound right to you? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of the greats gone early. Yes. As usual. <laughs> right. Right. It seems, it seems to happen often. Yeah. So thinking about this song, when you shared a bit of information about yourself in an email a couple of days ago, you talked about how sports and music has a really strong connection for you or there's a lot of crossover there so can you can you talk a little bit about the connection between this song by john coltrane and your sports history and your athletic past i think sports and music go together especially on the performing side for me anyways the correlation between like when i i go and do a singer songwriter thing now on guitar and piano and i still get those what I call pregame jitters, and it's in a mix of, I believe it's a mix of adrenaline and wanting to do well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a fear. 
I don't have a fear of failure, but I think of songs like that. And when I think of musicians like Coltrane and many others, I think of them as fearless. You know, the, the song, the music correlates to me being fearless and not afraid to go and do what I'm supposed to do. You know, like I was given these gifts. I believe I was given certain gifts and that uh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go and share them with everybody else. When I think of that song, especially when after all of these years, I heard that song first when I was like 11 years old. So it just takes me through time and and, uh, makes me unafraid and Brings puts me in a different frame of mind, and you know when I get on stage and I have those pre pre what I call pre-game jitters, I know that um, once I play a little bit, that all goes away, and then it's just a lot of joy for me, anyways. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good way to describe it or not, but it's kind of that's kind of a hard question. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a perfect description. I think that's really good. So you know, and that's that's one of those things that got me so curious about this. You know, creating this podcast and the the premise of it and talking to people is is how how music can make people feel and how it impacts their performance. And so I think right. you know the example you're talking to is exactly one of those big things that that makes it so powerful is that by listening to the song it can you know you just recognize and identify with the fearlessness of John Coltrane and the other musicians on it. But then that kind of flows into you and makes you unafraid and kind of settles your nerves and kind of helps manage those pregame jitters. The other thing all of these people had that in these songs was, and what I would hear through the, through the music was their passion for what they did. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I always wondered how you know how many more recordings would he have made, or um, you know, I just looked at Tower of Power is going to be in, I believe Santa Claus, Indiana, or somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard them. I actually opened for them a couple times with a different band that I was playing with, so I've gotten a chance to meet all my heroes you know yeah and tower of power but they're still out there doing it you know half of them are past but they're still rolling along and you know that the passion that they have if you ever watch them live is just off the charts the passion for for the music and for the style of music they do and all of that i believe it i believe it that's awesome so when you so thinking about Naima, is it is it Naima or Naima? Naima. Naima. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Couldn't fi- couldn't figure that out. Um, yeah. But when but when thinking about that song and kind of the the boost of confidence that that it gives you, is this is this a song that you've introduced to other people or or even even just shared the impact that it's had on you? Yes, I have several times, and everybody has pretty much the same reaction you know and it's not something that you would hear on well you'd hear you can hear it now more than you know 
before when there was just albums, but I can remember sharing the album with people years ago and actually getting the album back. <laughs> Half my albums got stolen somewhere along the line. Right. <laughs> now you can just download another one. You know? It's true. It's all digital. But it doesn't have that uh, scratchy sound. That uh, That's part of it, too. Playing those old albums that have been played a million times. you got the snap crackle and pop going in the background. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've shared that song so many times. It's, you know, it always gets the same reaction from people. You know, and they're grateful that I shared it with them. Mm. So when sharing that song, you know, thinking thinking to some of the work and some of the, the community efforts that you're involved in now, you know, sponsoring and, and helping other people that are working through addiction, is is this a song that you share with some of those folks? I probably have over the over the years. I've been I've been sober thirty six years now plus, and and I've you know, and I work with people still quite a bit today, trying to get people to uh, trying to help them navigate sobriety. I have I've probably shared Sade songs more than that, but <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. But yeah, I've shared I've shared that I've shared Naima, but I've shared all of those with like all kinds of people. People in recovery, people people that I just know, musician friends, baseball friends. What a weird life I've had, huh? It's it's good stuff. I'm all over the place. Yeah, it's a hell of a story. As someone who also was pretty connected to sports, you know, I, I don't feel as connected to sports as I used to be. Um, but you know, during when I was playing, music was pretty big for me too. I can't say I'd ever listened to jazz or you know some some vintage Coltrane, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, any of those guys. But yeah. Has that, you know, just thinking about that genre of music at that decade in time, is that something you were listening in the 70s and 80s when you were when you were an active baseball player? Yeah, I'm, I'm again, was all over the place with my musical choices because I grew up that way. I, you know, I grew up listening to sports and music and that's just what we did. And that's probably where I get all of that from. But my two older brothers had all of the doo-wop music, you know, all of those albums. I, I was the lucky guy. I mean, I was born in 1958, which, you know, entering, in my opinion, kind of right in the middle of the heyday of music. So my parents had all the big band stuff. My brothers had all the doo-wop stuff. And my sister had all the Motown stuff. I had this huge collection of albums just because I stole them from my siblings. <laughs> I stole them from my siblings. And then my brother, my next oldest brother, had all of the current stuff. And he was all into stereo sound. He had a quadraphonic you know, the thing that he, system that he had saved up a lot of money to buy when he was like 14. So we wow. had, yeah, we had all of this stuff and all of this different music and 
And I grew up in a musical family too, so a musical and athletic family. And my mom was organist and choir director at my church since she was 14. She did that for 60 years. So we had music around all the time. My, her brother and my uncle, Rob, was, uh, he actually directed the Air Force Airmen of Note Jazz Band uh, for quite some time and then was a career guy in the Air Force, obviously. He wow. would come home for Christmas and it would be just constant music around the house and you know, mom would sit at the piano and everybody would be singing harmonies. And so I just grew up that way. Um, yeah. Pretty blessed, pretty blessed to have a, um, just a lot of music around me of all types. And that's why I always, that's why I'm all over the place. I love all kinds of music. Like, there's, yeah. I don't think as genre that I don't like. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's really interesting and really cool. And and I agree, it's it's a bit of a blessing and it's it's a bit of a privilege to be able to have music be so infused since day one for you. You know, can you yeah. can you can you imagine what life would have been like if you didn't have all those musical influences? I cannot. I I, I tell people all the time. You know, I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't sit down at the piano and play or, you know, just, it's my go-to no matter what, if, especially in sobriety, it was, you know, just a, such a calming force for me to, you know, because when, when the drugs and alcohol were gone, I had to live life on life's terms and, and, you know, I don't know if you want to go here, but I, I mean, the drugs and alcohol were, were taking away my passion for everything, you know, like mm -hmm. it always does for people, you know, that happened. I got sober in the middle of, well, in the later third of my baseball career, it caught up to me and. You know, I was pretty sick. I had stage one cirrhosis and at 28 years old and had to stop. And you know, doctors told me I had to stop or I'd be dead in two years. So, uh, so I went to treatment and, you know, I don't know if music therapy was around then or not, but uh, it sure was for me. That was my... Um, it was the one thing that that could help me deal with life on life's terms and, and learning how to live without being medicated. And uh, yeah, so I don't know where I'd be. And then playing music, I still play. You know, I'm drumming on the average of three times a week, and then doing a singer-songwriter thing twice a week. And then I play at my church on Sundays most most weeks. So I'm still playing a lot. But I had this conversa conversation just the other day, and I have it quite often that I'd be lost without music. <laughs> I can't even, 
I can't even think of what life would be like had I not grown up the way I did and experienced all the things I've done. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like life would be a lot quieter. Well, it'd be, I don't know. I mean, you know, when I, when I was, when I started playing piano, I was 10 and my, my mom would, my mom could read anything. You could mm -hmm. put anything in front of her and she'd read it right off. My sister as well. And all of us kids, all the kids had to start on piano. But when I sat down at the piano, I didn't want to play what was written in my mind. <laughs> that was a, my mom would, I can still hear her talking from the kitchen while I'm trying to practice my lesson kind of. And she goes, she'd say, that's not how it's written, Paul. <laughs> and I'd say, well, I don't like how it's written. I want to play what I hear in my head. And so, yeah, so that was a, that was the start of my wanting to write songs. And I always wanted to, I always could hear things in my head. I hear melodies and, and then I'd sound them out on the piano. And it was a lot like baseball because at some point I had to learn a new pitch, you know, I, and and I goofed around in the outfield until I figured out how to throw a forkball, which after I did that and after, well, after I got sober first and then, and then figured out this other pitch that uh, all of a sudden I was a major league prospect. So you're never done learning, I guess. And, and I always kind of learned things the hard way <laughs> for whatever reason. The school of hard knocks. Yeah. Well, we all, as long as we're all, we all get there at some point, I feel like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter how somebody learns. It's, it's about just keep moving forward. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and I, you know, I still have the sports mentality when I'm playing music, you know, I'm always trying to get better. I go back to my sports training, you know, all the time in music. Yeah, to me, it goes together so well that I don't know what I'd do without all of that. But, you know, yesterday I said I'm not very accomplished on the piano anymore because I don't play that much, but I play all the time. I, I mean, I play at home, mm -hmm. but to get out on stage... I got to practice a little bit before I go out on stage and do it, which I did the other night. And, uh, you know, stuff like that, getting out of my comfort zone and I can play guitar and drums all day and, you know, without flaw, but then when I drag the piano along, <laughs> I have to read, then I really get the pregame jitters, but I feel the fear and do it anyway. And, I made it through three songs on piano without goofing up the other name. So Hey. Nicely done. That's uh uh well <laughs> So I I keep trying stuff, you know. I keep trying to get better. Yeah. I had someone tell me early in recovery, try to do this program, the twelve step program. Try to do this. All you got to do is try to do it better today than you did yesterday. Because I was, from an early age, such a perfectionist. 
which was one of the problems in my why I ended up turning to drugs and alcohol. Nothing was ever good enough for me. Mm. You know, I from a very young age I learned that uh, when I was in treatment, we did a timeline, and I could visualize how angry I would get when I was four or five years old going out of the lines while I was coloring, you know, you know, and I thought, well, that's not, (laughs) that's not normal. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of perfectionism issues and, uh, took me a long time to get through that. But music was one of the things that got me through that too. It, uh, you know, I can remember, and I can remember when it happened. I was playing somewhere and made a mistake, which used to just throw me off into a tizzy. Just one day, I was so tired of getting like that that I said, you know what? Nobody probably noticed anyways. And I was right. Yeah. <laughs> the only one that knew it was me. And so that's that was a big turning point. And had I not done that, you know, that carried over into all aspects of life, and including parenting, and can't be perfect. Right. Yeah. It's you drive yourself. You drive yourself. Not. I mean, I literally was driving myself nuts trying to be perfect at everything and hmm. at one point in my life. So, but yeah. on the same hand, it had. It had. You know, to find that I had to find the balance because it is one of the things that made me, I would say, an overachiever in baseball. Uh, you know, I got to the big leagues, and, and I played professionally for ten years because I was a student of the game, uh, and really worked hard at it. I mean, I worked harder than a lot of people. You know, in baseball, I'd go out during batting practice and watch the opposing team take batting practice while everybody else was in the clubhouse playing cards. Mm. You know, and I'd watch how they hold their hands and how their feet were, if they had an open stance or what their first motion was with their hands when they started the swing of the bat. All of that stuff the time I put in and the, you know, I've considered that work then because it was part of my job, but so the perfectionism had something to do with that. And once I learned how to harness all of that, it, uh, it paid dividends actually. Baseball is hard, man. I tell people all the time, baseball is a game of failure anyways. And so that's the best the best pitchers or the best hitters fail seven out of 10 times. Right. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. uh, It makes sense. And so if you're not really good at it, it isn't very fun to play. So (laughs) I was always looking for any, any edge that I could get to, you know, to get over the hump and be a step better than the next guy. Yeah. And especially as you get higher up in, in uh, you know, competition, difficulty, skill level, however you want to phrase it, those things really matter. It's important. That's for sure. 
it's very important because now you are, you know, I, I watch people struggle um, in baseball because, and these were people that uh, came out of, you know, came out of division one schools. My story is like way different than that, but I mean, some of these guys come out of D1 schools and were catered to their whole life. And then they get to pro ball. And even in the lower minor leagues, everyone's just as good as you are, if not better. And so you got to figure it out quick. You got to, you got to hone your craft, uh, learn new things, learn how to be ahead of the game like I did, you know, with uh, learning about hitters and how that all works just by the way they'd hold their hands and how their first motion is and how how I could get them out. Yeah. And a lot of guys couldn't handle that. It really surprised me about psychologically how a lot of these guys just dropped off the, they couldn't handle it. And, um, that was interesting to me, the mental side of all of that. And it's the same in music. I've seen the same thing. I lived down in Nashville for 10 years. I'd still be there right now. You know, I miss that place. Yeah. But I have grandchildren here and I still go back and forth. I don't need to be living there, but it'll be a little easier. Sure. Um, same thing in music. You know, you get musicians and singers, they all come to Nashville and you know, they get weeded out quick. Right. Um, and it's usually not because they didn't have the talent. It's more on the other side of the, the being able to handle not being a big fish in a small pond and mm -hmm. that sort of thing as well. Most of the people that come there too, the same thing. They came from a place where everyone told them how great they were, and, <laughs> and, uh, and then they get to where everybody is just as good, if not better, and it raises the bar. And some people reach for the bar, and some people don't. Yeah, it teaches it teaches humility. Oh, you got there. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I was playing baseball, see, we were, I was in AAA for a lot of the time. And so we were always in the same division as Nashville was. And so we were there more often than all the other teams. But every time I would go to Nashville, and I, I said when I was a kid that I was going to play baseball as long as I could. And then I'd go to some, you know, LA or New York or Nashville, somewhere where I could play my own music without being harassed <laughs> to play. You know, back here in Green Bay years ago, it wasn't cool to play your own music. So anyways, that was my goal. But when I was playing baseball and we'd go to Nashville, whenever, as soon as the plane would land in Nashville, I felt like I was home. Mm. that makes any sense yeah just the just the whole vibe of the music in that city 
and people people that have never been to Nashville probably don't know. They look at it as you know. Some people still look at it as, as just country music, but it's called Music City for a reason because there's everything and then some there in all genres. And um, you have all these people writing songs. And when we go there, when I was playing baseball. After the game, I would go down to a place called the Gibson Grill, and they had a writer's night there. And that's when I knew that at some point I would move to Nashville because everyone was, the songs were great, you know, and the the way all of the songwriters um, pulled for one another instead of, you know, in other places it gets kind of catty and Everyone's jealous of the other one. Where in Nashville, it, it seemed like all the songwriters were trying to get to the same goal. They were all reaching for that bar and and helping each other get there and stuff like that. And I, that's when I knew that at some point I wanted to live there. Yeah, which I did. Yeah, later on. Well, good for you for making it because some people don't have the opportunity or aren't aren't able to make that happen for themselves. So that's that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, you got to make it happen. Though I mean, I had a lot of people make excuses. I had a guy, you know, I had some pretty good people in my life, you know, that would tell me to stop making excuses and do what you think you should do and. And I followed that advice. I I've stuck true to my guns, you know. I'm I haven't gotten rich and and uh or anything rich or famous, but you know, that's not why I do what I do. I mean, I I believe God gave me gifts and and I went through a time where I tried not to be a musician and it was awful. Hmm. It was really, I felt like I was being penalized. Wow. I went through a time where I worked as a, worked as a union carpenter down at McCormick Place in Chicago in the trade show business, trying to, you know, trying to do something that I wasn't meant to do. And I, you know, it was really really eye-opening for me, you know, that uh, I really felt like I was being penalized for not doing what I was put here to do. And uh, so I made that change. That's when I moved to Nashville finally. And uh, I had a goal of getting my songs played on mainstream radio I've done that and I had a goal of playing in the big leagues and I did that now now I have other goals yeah move on to the next thing yes yeah Yeah. I've been pretty lucky man it's been it's been wonderful the music's been such a big part you know, the soul vaccination tune was one of the one of the songs that really, really, really made me want to be a good drummer. Mm. 
Can you tell me about the drummer for Tower of Power? Well, David Garibaldi was the drummer. For, you know, he's been the drummer for most of the time, but certainly one of my idols, if you want to use that word. I don't like using that word, but I grew up listening to Buddy Rich, David Garibaldi for funk stuff, Buddy Rich for jazz, and other other people as well in jazz, but mainly. And then uh, Ian Pace and John Bonham for rock. Yep. All the studio drummers and in, in all the studio drummers from um, I shouldn't say all because there was only a couple in Motown. Uh, all those guys, the grooves that they laid down were just crazy. Yeah. And but when I heard for the first time and. This album, the Tower of Power album with Soul Vaccination on it, the self-titled album. When I heard that, that was that was it for me. I was going to be a drummer, and uh, to figure that out, I would slow the records down to 16 RPMs. <laughs> oh yeah. To figure out what Garibaldi did, a lot of rudimental stuff with his with his hands, you know, on the hi-hat and the snare drum and his bass drum as well. And uh, that's how he did all these funk grooves that he was so well known for. Still, and when I look back on a lot of music that I was really um, really attracted to in, in the songs that really had an impact on me. They're all pretty much all groove based, like No Ordinary Love. I can listen to that song over and over and over <laughs> and over. Just because the groove right from the get-go, same thing with Soul Vaccination, the intro to it makes you want to hear the whole song. Yeah. And I learned so much from that, from, you know, and that tied into baseball, but it also tied into songwriting for me. You know, what makes a great song? And that's part of it, is making the song identifiable right from the get-go, whether it's through the through the melody, through the groove, through the through the bass um, progression, whatever. There's songs that you identify right away. Yeah. And all of those songs have that for me. You know, the and her voice and Shade's voice especially was intriguing to me when I first heard when I first heard any of her stuff, uh, who is this? Holy man. Yeah. Just the groove, the groove, the vibe. I mean, the whole vibe of all of her songs, but No Ordinary Love especially uh, is just timeless. I mean, it never gets old to me. Yeah. Same thing with Tyler Power. All that stuff that all of the songs I picked are, in my opinion, timeless treasures. With No Ordinary Love, one of the impacts it had on me was, what's the deal here? So you can sing the same verse twice? 
you know, because you sing the same verse. <laughs> verse one and verse two are the same. Hmm. And then the pre-choruses are a little bit different. So I've learned, you know, I mean, not that she can pull that off. I, I would never be able to pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Paul? Your voice is just like Sade's voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but the groove, I always wanted, I had this fantasy of being the drummer in, in the Sade's band. Yeah. But that never happened. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all right. But I, I, I was just going to say, I totally agree with you on the groove of these songs, and particularly Ordinary Love, that it's as soon as you hear it in those first five seconds, where it's kind of like almost atmospheric, but then the, the bass line in, in the drums, <laughs> it's it's hypnotic. Like, I listened to this song last night. Like, I like Sade. My fiance, she really likes Sade. Um, yeah. and so, and so hearing this song, like the groove was hypnotic and this song is seven minutes and 20 seconds long, but I honestly, yeah. it could be triple that and I would be just as happy. Right. Yeah. It's the groove in, in that whole band, the simplicity of how they play. You know, it's exactly. like Miles Davis would, Miles Davis would always say it's sometimes it's what you don't play. Mm-hmm. And that had a huge impact on me. Thing that that idea of knowing when to play and when to not play too much as a musician, I've yeah. carried that with me. Same thing in baseball. If your fastball is getting people out, go with your fastball. I see people make this mistake all the time in Major League Baseball, though. I, the Brewers do it all the time. I don't, I don't get it. They'll be getting people out with their fastball and then lob, you know, go with their third best pitch and it gets knocked out of the park. Same thing in music, you know, you got a good groove, stay in the groove, stay in the boundaries, you know. Right. And the shot A's always done that. Power Power has always done that. There's stuff's more complicated, but it, but it's, so in the pocket all the time and uh yeah yeah fun I, stuff it is yeah, yeah i think you know speaking of soul vaccination and tower of power so that that's a band that has a lot of members and definitely you know you kind of mentioned about it before about how i think about half of the original members have now passed away and they're filling in spots yeah. but but yeah, i think you're absolutely right in in a lot of funk music and particularly with these guys the groove is everything and even if you have it is everything even if you have these layers of horns and saxophones and you know maybe a couple of guitars a couple of percussionists everyone has their eyes and ears focused in the groove and then everything else layers in where it fits so right like that that to me is is music that's infectious magical really, yeah it's it's profound it is you know and there's different there's different groove types. Like Led Zeppelin was always grooving. Now it's all Bonham, you know. Um, Deep Purple as a rock band was always grooving, and that was Ian Pace. That's mm-hmm. why I was so attracted to all of the people that I, you know, I didn't like. 
I'll tell you who I didn't like was the who because Keith Moon overplayed all the time and drove me nuts and made me want to shut it off. <laughs> mm, wow. That's got to be the hot take Some of this episode. People get mad at me for saying that, but I'll say it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. But I but I agree. <laughs> I hear you. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice for anybody that plays in the rhythm section that when I started picking up the bass guitar and becoming more interested in it, taking it more seriously, and I watch videos and listen to you know podcast episodes of bassists talking about the advice that they got, a lot of it was knowing what to play, but you know, just like you said, maybe more importantly, knowing when not to play and leaving space and letting yeah. letting the groove breathe and just seeing what happens with that. Yes. It's one of the you know, I, I as a drummer I was never much of a soloist. And as a baseball player, I was usually the closer, you know. And as a closer, you didn't have time to go up, go in there and be uh, real fine or, you know, too cutesy. It was go in there and get the last few outs and let's get out of here. And um, same thing in music for me. Just lay it down, lay down the groove and uh, support the rest of the, support the song. Yep. And that helped me when I moved to Nashville as well. It helped me as I did a lot of studio work in Nashville um, as a drummer and then a lot of songwriting and singer-songwriter performing. And that carries through all of that. The, especially people would say that that even with my, that I play gu acoustic guitar like a drummer. And that was meant as a compliment, you know, because it's because I have a groove, a way of playing because I'm self-taught. That's just how I learned how to play. And I probably do play like a drummer. You know, there's more of a percussive, percussive side to it when you're playing all by yourself and trying to get the idea of a song, there, you know, the groove really makes a difference still just with the acoustic guitar it's really interesting yeah yeah and it's yeah you mentioned the percussive sound there's so many different dynamics and like the way that you attack the string of of any any stringed instrument it could be a, a, a cello or it could be a guitar it could be a bass guitar anything just the way that your hands or your fingers touch the strings or if you're using a pick that totally changes yeah. the sound and the feeling of it as it comes out it sure does. And there, you know, if you ever go, like in Nashville, there's a lot of uh, what they call writer's nights. And largely it's songwriters that are out testing out their songs, you know, to see what kind of reaction they get. <clears throat> Inevitably, you hear, and I'm sure most of your listeners have heard you know, people playing a, a guitar or a piano and singing somewhere and uh, have just this wonderful voice, but their but their musicianship, the the way they play whatever instrument they're playing doesn't match how isn't as accomplished as their voices. Mm -hmm. And it it really 
takes away from how good that performance could be just because there's no groove. Yeah. There's no groove and there's no subtleties in the playing. It's, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times it's someone playing an acoustic guitar that's playing all six strings, no matter what chord they're playing, you know, <laughs> right. that type of thing. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's too bad, you know, because you're, so I, you know, not that I'm the greatest player in the world, but that uh, I work hard on that, you know, still. And there's, because I want, because when you're playing by yourself, especially, and especially if you're doing some of your own songs, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be able to bring it a little bit with the, with your instrument as well. Yeah. Really interesting. It's so much like sports to me. It all it all goes together. Yeah. Yeah. That mental there's there's a pre performance routine aspect of, you know, how you like you're talking before about the pregame jitters and how you yeah. you know, let's say it's thirty minutes until the first pitch. That that thir that that first, you know, that thirty minutes leading into the game sometimes can feel like the first thirty minutes of walking up on stage with a full house ready to listen to music it does. well it does and i you know i still i don't want to say i struggle with it but it's i'm conscious of it because when when you're tight you know there's a difference between adrenaline and it's how you channel all that feeling it's how you you know and still when I go on, I have to warm my, when I go on to sing all by myself and there's a whole bunch of people there, notoriously, I know, first of all, that I got to warm my voice up because it takes me like, <laughs> I don't know why, but it takes me a good 20 to 30 minutes to get where I feel comfortable singing a note without having a chunk of something come up <laughs> right it's not to be gross or whatever but uh but part of that is when you're tense you know when you're feeling pressure or whatever it is people feel i still i don't know if i still identify that the right way the pregame jitters will as a musician will and as a singer will make you kind of tighten up your vocal cords and not breathe right and and as a consequence you're not singing the way you would normally sing and so i still really have to work on that to like you say if it's a half hour show or something you know it's kind of like coming in in the ninth inning and yeah, you got a little time to get things done, and if you don't get it done, it's gonna suck. <laughs> All right, you got to warm up. So I still work on that, and it's a mental. For me, it's a mental thing. You know, I have to. I know what I have to do to prepare and uh, to get through that uh, adrenaline rush or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's adrenaline, but. Uh, yeah, that's an ongoing, 
it's an ongoing process for me. I'm pretty good at it now, but there's other there there are times, depending on the set list I'm doing, you know that that if I'm doing some songs that I haven't done for quite a while or brand new songs, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, and I I think and you said something that kind of sums it up of having having mental skills in place to be able to manage yourself or different techniques. You said that I know what I have to do. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, (laughs) that's huge. That's, and I I just want to like pause on that thought and that idea because not everyone knows what they have to do to get them into the right headspace to perform the way they want to perform. So I think it's almost like a, it's like a secret hack because as soon as you can observe yourself and notice what's going on with yourself and at the same time, the part two is knowing what to put in place to help regulate yourself so you can be who you want to be. That's like, if if every person had that skill in the entire world, I feel like we'd have a really, we'd have an elevated human human population. Well, you're exactly right. That, you know, I mean, it is the difference between... Uh, Well, Pat, the the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Jordan Love right now. Jordan's not been there enough to know what he's got to do at the end of a game. Where mm-hmm. Patrick's been, you can just see it in him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You can the just the way he walks, the way he conducts himself. He's been there. He's done it. He knows what he's got to do in a tight situation. To me, you got to slow everything down. That's that's my go-to. Everything just got to slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, slow down the thoughts. Slow down my breathing. Slow down. And it's the same thing. You know, I'm sure for. That's the difference between guys that are closers in baseball, like I did most of the time. Um, there's other people that can't do that. You you don't have the luxury of making a mistake when you come in. And same thing, trying to win a game in the last two minutes. That's what I was talking about with Jordan Love. He just the game was going too fast for him at the end the other night. But yeah. He's going to be great. I can't wait to see what he does because, man, uh, it's fun for me to watch people figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jordan Love did all season. He figured it out. Yeah. And uh, in that last series, you know, of that last game might not be an indication. It's just an indication he hadn't been there yet. Now he's been there. So. That's how I learned. You, you know, you you learn by doing it, and uh, and that's how I know what I got to do. Right. Then it's a matter of doing it. You know, it's just a matter <laughs> right. of okay, this is what I do. Slow everything down. Um, yeah. Just rely on my abilities to, you know, rely on my practice and how many times I've done this before. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then it gets kind of almost too simple. But 
There's a yeah. fine line be- between keeping it too simple and then keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, no, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Cause it's, I think if, if a person tries to make it too simple, then they think that they can do it with ease and they can kind of brush it off and breeze through it. But if they maintain, if they respect it and they respect it for something that's challenging, that does require effort, but is still doable and accomplishable, then it's, it's kind of right in that sweet spot of, I can do this. I'm going to have to work at it, but I have the skills to do this. You know, who's who I've become a fan of, like, just about everybody else. Caitlin Clark. Yes. With the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, she is. I've become such a fan of such a fan of hers. In fact, I'm wearing a Hawkeyes hoodie right now, but I drove down to just because I wanted to see that whole thing. Just the whole atmosphere, the culture that their coaches made there and but that girl thrives in the minute. Yeah. And I love seeing that. That's it reminds me and she's I don't wanna I don't wanna compare myself to her, but her her passion for what she does matches the passion I have for or had for baseball and the passion I have for music. Uh, and you can just see it, and then and there's no minute too big for her. She she gets better the harder things get, and it's so fun to watch for me. It gives me a little breath of hope because a lot of I stopped watching some sports thing like some of the professional sports. Some of the attitudes have changed a little bit, and it's hard for me to watch sometimes. But uh, that whole the whole Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball culture, and Caitlin's a big part of that. But it's really the culture is how each one of those people on that team and in that whole process, most of it's mental. If if you follow that team, you'll you find out that um, how the coach values every person on that team. He gives each one of them, no matter if they're sitting on the bench, each one of them feels valued. And the way she's done that is why they're so good. And they're so fun to watch and they play with a passion and a joy that I've never seen. Honestly, yeah. I've never, not in a long time anyway. It reminds me of when I played baseball. We had passion. We had fun. Her coach, you know, Coach Bluter there talks so much about everyone being valued we're stronger as a team. You know, she has a thing where they sit in a circle and they're all just sitting by themselves. And then she has them all grab a hand next to them and, and feel 
what it feels like to have to not be alone, to be part of a team. And it's so cool that it made me want to follow that team. Not just because of Caitlin. Caitlin's awesome, but the whole culture there is a breath of fresh air. So anybody who's listening, try to catch a game and check that out. But anyway. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. And even just kind of sitting here, it it made me think back and reflect on some of my playing days when I felt really connected yeah. and, and supported. And it's, I, I mean, I don't, I, I can't think of many other things in life that are as <clears throat> important and, and, right. reju and rejuvenating and calming about that feeling of knowing that you're among a group of people that just deeply care about right. each other and, and the one goal in mind, and they'll do what they have to do to right. make that happen for themselves and for each other. And it's like, that is something that I wish everyone in the world can experience is that connection. Cause it's, it's one of the sweetest things that I think we can have as people. Isn't it? I get emotional just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of <laughs> sitting here looking out the window now. Because I know what, a, what, you know, and people, and I try to carry that into everyday life, that whole idea, you know, with, with addicts, for instance, when I'm working with, with addicts, and actually I've had to do that with family members where everybody else is throwing them to the curb, you know, and, and, and you try to lift them up and, and, you know, in addiction, there's nobody that feels worse than the addict that, that has relapsed. Mm. And I take that. That's why I watch, you know, when I watch Iowa play. The other night, you know, Caitlin's averaging 30 plus points. She's going to break the all-time record here in the next game or two for scoring. You know, she. And with all the NIL deals going around in college, you know, some of the coaches are quitting because they can't deal with it, with, with how some of the players have gotten me, 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 I, I, I. Sure. And then you watch, then when you watch Iowa girls play, it's totally not like that. They're playing because of the joy of the game. They're playing for each other. And the place is packed. I drove five and a half hours down there just because I wanted to see it in person. Mm. And it was so cool. It reminded me. And I had finished my career in Iowa with the Iowa Cubs, you know, and I started my career in Iowa. So I have a little bit of a connection. Yeah. At a little junior college in Iowa, but, um, the other night, you know, Caitlin's always scoring 30-some points, and she also leads, I think she's in well. She got the Big Ten record for assists, too. Anyways, one of their players, she's a sophomore, Hannah Stulke, has always kind of, for two years, she's a good player, but sometimes she's shy. Of the, you know, she has a confidence issue. You can see it on the floor. Sometimes she's you can see she's got talent, 
Well, the other night, she scored 47 points. And to see how the fans reacted to that, and but more so how Caitlin Clark and all the rest of the players just lifted her up. Mm. It was amazing. And uh, boy, you know, and you say, it's true, you know, I see that. And with all the weird stuff going on in the world, if everyone would just do that and stop arguing about, (laughs) you know, everything. But catch a game once and you'll see what I'm talking about. Pretty cool. I will. I remember... I think I remember seeing one of their postseason games last year, which was really awesome. But while that's when I started watching, then I started following them all the time, and it's like, yeah, they're out of there. There's some films on there where they they took a trip to Croatia and stuff like that. But you can just see, and the coach gets players that buy into that whole thing that she does. I mean, it is their culture. it's really cool. Yeah. Well, I, while we're talking about them, I looked up their schedule. They they play tomorrow at noon yeah. against the, against Nebraska. So I'm going to try to catch that yeah. one. That'll be a good one. And in Nebraska, they they can be tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to watch, man. For sure. Fun to see people play with joy instead of instead of how much money can I make. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. I don't, Loving what they're doing. I, mean, I, watched, I watched one of the worst NBA games the other night, and I loved the NBA, and I have always did. But some of, these, some of the games, they're not playing any defense. There's no joy in what they're doing sometimes, and not all the time. And then you get to the playoffs, and they're all playing hard. They, they don't get it. Yeah. Too many games, too much money, I guess. But yeah, professional sports are definitely a different I'm, world. I'm showing my age now. Well, I never <laughs> made really any money. So. <laughs> I played, hell, I had to play, they knew it too. They, I had to play for nothing. Mm. You know? well, that's, that's probably why they wanted you, because you were in it for the right reasons. Well, it is. It is, actually. They knew I wanted to play I can tell you a little tidbit. I went on the road. I got hurt my junior or senior year of high school. I had a dislocated hip in a rounding first base my senior year, like one of the first games of the year. So I didn't get any college offers. So I went on the road playing music. I was making back then you could make Quite a bit. We were playing six and seven nights a week. When I got to be 21, I thought, well, what if? I don't want to be 45 years old and wondering what if. So I came off the road, got in shape, played with the Green Bay Blue Ribbons in the first. I wrote letters to 
all the major league teams a bunch of times and finally got somebody to Jerry Krause actually was a scout for the White Sox at the time. He came and looked at me, hmm. didn't sign me because it was late in the year. He wanted to see me play against good competition. And so then I went to a trial camp at the Reds and they had me set up to go to Indiana State. But I was 21 already, and I said, well, I don't want to do that. I'll be too old. So he ended up working a deal for me to go to this little junior college in Des Moines Area Community College in Boone, Iowa. And then I had a great year there, and all the scouts say, yeah, we're going to put you in for the drafts. And Well, I never get drafted, and I think it's because they knew I'd sign for nothing. And... uh I just wanted to play and uh, don't get drafted. So the first day after the draft, we're playing with the Blue Ribbons in Beloit and two scouts, uh, Terry Ryan for the Mets and Dale McReynolds for the Dodgers show up to sign me, both of them. And they didn't know the other one was coming. So they flipped the coin. (laughs) They actually... They actually flipped the coin to see who got to sign me. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't believe that, but it happened. Wow. <laughs> so Terry won, and I signed with the Mets. I signed a contract on the hood of his car out in the parking lot that day. <laughs> it's, uh, so you never know, you know. Yeah. But they, they knew I wanted to play. I had to play for nothing with that. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm taking a, a quick look at the clock, and over we're we're getting long here. So, one quick question, and one thing I w- I always like to ask folks as we kind of round things out, um, is is about you, as you would guess. But is there anything that you're currently excited about that you'd want to share and let people know about? Well, I play at my church and in, in, uh <clears throat> at Life Church and. Deepir, lifechurchgreenbay.com. I play there almost every Sunday. I get to play my drums. And that's been a genre of music that that I hadn't done before up until a couple of years ago. So, but to see the impact that that has on people, on the worship music, and uh, I just love that. And I keep doing that. So I encourage people, if you're searching for something, try to find, try to find somewhere to go, you know, try to go to a church. If you, if, uh, if you're looking for answers and, uh, that's always been good for me. And, and, uh, the good Lord's given me the talents that I have and, and I'm gonna keep on doing that stuff until until the bitter end. Yeah. <laughs> so well, good. Appreciate think... you having me on here. I I really enjoyed talking about this stuff. Yeah, and you know, big thanks to you too, Paul, for 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 making time and opening up. I think you know you're you're a hell of a storyteller, and another yeah. part of another part of that is you have a hell of a story to tell. So that just that made it fun for me just to sit back and listen to you and learn about you and just get your perspective. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. Thank you.